0: Hi everyone, and thanks for joining us again on Lifeline Torah with Rabbi Yaakov Zirkand. Today we're going to be discussing Joseph and his children. And I'm excited for Rabbi Zerkind to share with you an insight that he came across during his preparation for this class. So stay tuned. Be sure to check us out on our Facebook group page, Lifeline Torah. There you can access recordings to previous classes. You can find links to the current class, and it will be on Sundays, 1 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Eastern. We hope to see you then. It's nice to be with you guys,
1: as always. So we'll get right into it. So we're going to talk about Joseph and his children. Rather than, we went from Jacob last time and not was uh, Hanukkah in between, but Jacob, we, then we had Hanukkah, and then we we'll talk about Joseph. The reason why I'm going to Joseph rather than Judah, next week we'll talk about Judah as well as the holiday that the, the people are going to celebrate this week. Okay? So, we're going to Joseph because Joseph, the the, the Rashi, the commentator, tells us he quotes actually the Medrash. The Medrash says that whatever happened to Jacob, Happened to Joseph, so and the spitting image of of Joseph of Jacob was Joseph, and all the events in life. And in fact, there are fifteen episodes that the midrash mentions as to how they were duplicated in Joseph. And therefore, I think, and since Joseph was sort of the next of kin, if I may, to Jacob, because remember that Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, Rachel's. Oldest son was Joseph, so really this is the child he was looking for, and that's why it says that he loved jo- Joseph, because although it says it because he was born to him in his older years, etc., etc. But really, and and he looked like him. Does that mean to say that all the other ten children, or even eleven, well later the eleventh, but the first ten children, none of them looked like Jacob? Hmm. That's strange. That's difficult to say. So I'd rather there's there's an explanation as to what that's all about. But basically what he's, what Jacob was saying is that I see something in his image. You know, we look at people and we see something about that person. We look at somebody's eyes and there's something that those eyes tell us. Many times you see wisdom in those eyes. Many times you see, um, evil in that person's eyes but it's those eyes that, that say it a lot and what Jacob was saying is that Joseph has an image that I haven't seen in a long time and that's the image I like and that's why he he, he clung on to Joseph because he was the, the, the next of kin. and it says actually that three times did he say I look forward to seeing you. What do you mean to seeing you? I mean, obviously he's going to see him. But what does he look for? Because he's going to see that special eyes. That's unique about Joseph of all the brothers. Now let's, now let's go back a little bit and talk about Joseph and his and his children. So Joseph, Joseph was, well, if we read the literal verse, uh, Chapters, verses in the Torah it does not say anywhere it does not say anywhere that the brothers sold to the brothers sold Joseph to the, to the Ishmaelim but rather what it does say is they wanted to kill him but then they said no let's not do, kill him let's just leave him here and they left him here it's only later the Midianites came along and they were the ones that kind of finagled the deal to sell Joseph it wasn't the brothers although the brothers are being blamed for it and the brothers were punished for it and we see that throughout the history the nations of the world constantly took the, the side of the story as the brothers Killed Joseph or sold Joseph, and as a result, were punishing the Jews throughout history for that purpose, for that reason. It's interesting when the when the Old Testament has value, but we'll go for that. Um, so, what happens is so Joseph had a bad rap really in his life, and he gets down to to Egypt, and again he's kind of like left in the, in a uh, in a pit with. Two others, the 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 one in charge of the the bakery and the one in charge of the of the cooking of all the foods for the for the for the pharaoh. And those two people, interestingly enough, they had a dream. They had each of them had a dream of their own. And they didn't and they now when we talk about dreams, we have to understand that today, for the most part, we dismiss dreams. For the most part we don't pay attention to dreams that wasn't the case back in the day especially in egypt where everything was was uh, about magic and uh, all kinds of uh, you know symbolism and all kinds of things of that nature so a dream was tr- tr- translated as god's message to me When we see a dream, that was God's direct message to me as the recipient of that dream. And therefore, a dream meant the world. And therefore, when they had a dream, they needed somebody to interpret it. Now, these two two agents, though there, they had they were going crazy looking for somebody to interpret the dreams, but nobody can interpret it, which in itself is very strange. But we'll leave that for now. But Joseph steps up to the plate, and he says, you know what? Really, the interpretations of dreams belong to God. Okay? Now, if they belong to God, he says, why don't you tell me the dream? Which is a little haughty, if if I may, on Joseph's part. What is he saying? That I'm a God? Well, whether it is or it isn't, that's not the point. But nonetheless, this is what he tells them. And what do they do? Each of them tells them the dream. So the first one tells them the dream. That was the, the one in charge of the, the, the one, the baker tells them his dream. And Joseph interprets it in a favorable way. He tells them that three days is Pyro's birthday. And he's going to make <coughs> a big feast and yada, 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 etc. And it was going to come out perfectly well for this individual. Now, the other fellow... The one in charge of the beverages, the drinks. He he too had a dream, and he was skeptical. But he called. He figures. Look, it sounded good. what Joseph said to this guy. So one night, when I try my luck too, and he tells Joseph, you know, I too had a dream. And Joseph he has his dream and he interprets it, but it wasn't very favorable, actually. And as Joseph predicted, that's exactly what happened. This one was spared his life, and another one was killed. Now, the whole discussion about the dreams, why this one got a good, a good dream and another one didn't, so the Talmud actually said, tells us about dreams. In addition to the fact that we shouldn't pay attention to dreams, but he does tell us about dreams, that a dream depends on the interpretation. And The, the Talmud actually tells us about how Several pages in in, in the tractate of Brachot, the first chapter, the first tractate of the the Talmud, has a whole three or four pages worth of things about dreams. If you see this in the dream, this is what it means. If you see this, what in the dream, this what it means. And he goes on and on for three pages, and then he says, really, it all depends on the person that interprets it, because if the person interprets it positively, it will be positive results. And if if the person interprets it in a negative way, that's that's the result. It's going to be negative. And the Talmud actually tells us that certain people had similar dreams. This one paid the guy to interpret it. That one didn't. The guy that paid, he got a favorable interpretation. The other one didn't pay. You get what you pay for, they say. So he didn't get a favorable interpretation. So the interpretations were very critical and they knew that they had to pay attention to every detail of the of the interpretation so this is what happened when they were when joseph was with those two guys in, in, in the pit in the in the cell now he, t- he joseph reminds the guy the fellow that was that was spared the, the baker he tells him he says you know i want you to remember me when you go to see paro when you go see paro i want you to remember make sure you remember that I gave you a favorable interpretation. Okay, and as typical as, as nature goes, we forget about the good things that people do for us, and we just go on with our life as though it was all deserving to us by the Almighty God, and that's what we got, and we move on. We don't even think about anybody else that might have been involved in making sure that I get that part. But, so we go on. And go, they go on with life. And then, lo and behold, Pharaoh has a dream. He has two dreams as well. And he has these dreams about these cute cows, and goes on and on and on with the sheaves. And he says, and he's trying to get a interpretation, and nobody, nobody can give him an interpretation, which that too is extremely strange. I mean, this is Pharaoh, the most powerful person the world at the time because Egypt was the superpower of the world at the time and Pharaoh was the the head of Egypt so he sort of had everything at his disposal and the Torah tells us there was nobody to interpret his dream what's going on here what's going on why is there nobody to interpret Pharaoh's dream and even not for money and all kinds of royalties nothing can't get anybody to, to say anything so the Madrush tells us about that, too, that actually many people came and gave interpretations. But there was one problem. Pharaoh said that when he gets a dream, there has to be a therefore, a follow-up. It's not just a dream, but rather God is giving him a directive as to how to proceed. And all the people that gave interpretations only gave them the first part of the interpretation and did not give them anything about it as a, as, as a follow-up, as a takeaway from the dream, what to do as a result of it. And therefore, to him, he got nobody, nobody gave him the, the interpretation that was suited for his dream. So he was kind of at a dilemma. That's when this the baker remembered, one second, Joseph. He's a guy, he's in a, in a cell and he, He gave me a favorable dream, a favorable interpretation of my dream. And you know what? Maybe I should tell Pharaoh about that. So he goes to Pharaoh, and he tells him that there's a guy Joseph down there, and he knows how to interpret dreams. So when Pharaoh hears this, he's all excited, and he tells his, his henchmen, go ahead, take him out of there. Uh, give him a, a bath, you know, and, and those uh, jails over there, they didn't get uh, uh, showers every day like we do here in America. They didn't get the, the three square necessarily every day. So, but when, when he has to stand before Pharaoh, so Pharaoh orders that he has to get a shower and he gets dressed in, in decent clothing and give him some decent food. And then he can come to Pharaoh and possibly hear the dreams. And possibly give an interpretation well that's exactly what happens he goes before Pharaoh and he's now looking like a handsome young man and Pharaoh tells him his dreams and, and Joseph again says something very interesting he says you know only God has the interpretations but I think I have the answer for you. And he says to him, and he says to him the interpretation. And not only does he tell him the interpretation, but he tells him the takeaway from it. That's when Pharaoh says, oh, okay, now I know. Now I know that this guy has the right interpretation, because he has to take away from the dream itself. And that was critical that that Pharaoh was not getting from anybody else so he interprets it well and then pharaoh says okay because you gave me this dream, the stream the interpretation of the stream you are now second in command here in egypt he gives him his his uh, his ring with his signet on it and he says this is yours and you are in charge you no know, you can lift their hand without your permission okay so now pharaoh's this all-powerful person now and he says, he, then, and then as, as Pharaoh interpreted the dream, that there's going to be seven years of, of uh, plentiful food, and then it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And the seven years of famine are going to be so terrible that you, no one will remember even how good it was in the good days when we had plenty of food. And that's exactly what happened. And people, and, 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 he, and you know, Joseph... Commanded his people that they should store food in, in in storage bins so that they have enough food for everybody for the entire seven year of the of the, of the famine. Now, so people when they people heard about this, so they too <coughs> started storing uh, storing away food. But you know, what happened was that all of their foods. Went bad. The only one that the food remained fresh as the day was put away was by Joseph, slash Pharaoh. And that was because God was looking over this, this whole program, and He had to direct everything to go, be funneled through Joseph. There's no, you know, there's no sensationist. There's, there's no nothing. You all have to follow Joseph because Joseph is in command, which in itself is very, very unusual. Usually we don't find in throughout our our scriptures that we have a, a leading Jew, if I may, that he's in control of everything in the world. For all done to purposes, Joseph was that man. He literally was in charge of everything. And nobody could do anything without him yeah we had all kinds of advisors throughout history even to this day all those people that say we don't want to have a jew in our administration and guess what who do they pick for their uh, top advisors happen to be jewish i wonder why but anyway we'll leave that alone for now okay so but the jews were never kind of in the in in top in the top ranks they were all kind of behind the scenes but here joseph was in the front lines he everybody had to come to joseph and he, whatever he said they he had to follow so fast forward he's there and he's uh, living as in royalty over there now you can imagine he's at, at some level he's kind of depressed if i may say that why he hasn't seen his father in these 22 years he hasn't seen his brothers he hasn't seen anybody of his family he's here all alone all alone in a, in a, in a foreign world in a world of all evil known as the the, the superpower and typically the superpower follows all kinds of of uh, nasty evil derogatory things for, a, for an observant jew or for any person that's following Wants to follow the ways of Hashem, so it becomes challenging when they're in such an environment. So let's say a person lives in Times Square. So okay, so we know that Times Square is not a place for uh, for a, a good um, God-fearing person to be able to thrive over there because of all the negative that's over there. Similarly, that was what Egypt was like, and probably even ten times more than. than than Times Square. And here, Joseph, he had to maintain that Jewish relationship, that connection with Hashem at a level that's unfathomable for any one of us. Unfathomable. You know, he has to put up a show for for the Pharaohs and for the the nations of the world that he's just an ordinary uh, Joe, pun intended. But at the same time, inside internally, he had to be this God-fearing Jew. Then he gets married. He gets married to Asnas. He marries Asnas, and then he has a child. So the first child he names Manasha. Now the torah tells us why did he call it menasha because the word menasha like i told you we we use translations of words as different things so the word menasha has the word in it nashani meaning when he says that god made me forget my father's house and everything that where i keep my heritage That's what Manasseh represents. The fact that he has his own children, his own child, and now he doesn't have to look back at his parents or his his siblings, nothing. I have my own new prodigy, progeny. Then he has another child. He Names this child Ephraim. And the meaning of this, the Torah tells us, is because Hashem made me fruitful in the land, in a foreign land. Now one second. Let's think about these names for a moment. Both of these names. Would not be appropriate for Joseph. If he's in a, in a, in a desperate situation. He's in a situation where he, well, he's, he's kind of desolate. And isolated from his family. Why am I bringing in a name? That constantly reminds me of how how isolated I am, and why would I want to have such 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 children that have constantly have to be re- re- remembered of all of these negativities that has happened to Joseph to, to, to get to this point. And this is a this is a question that many people ask, many commentators ask this question: Why would he need name such names? You know. You want to give him a name. Give him a name that has nothing to do with that, or something that that, uh, that represents a future positivity. Interestingly enough, we find Manasseh and Ephraim later in history. So Ephraim represents, if you remember our scriptures well, Ephraim represents the household of Israel as opposed to the households of Judah. Which all they do is bad things in the eyes of Husha, of the Lord. Constantly, God says, When are you going to come back, Ephraim? My dear child, Ephraim. You know, because he sees, he's put in, in this um, physical world and he's failing on a regular basis. That's Ephraim. Manasseh, Let's look at Menashe. One of our worst kings of Judah was Manasseh. Now, Ahaz was the worst. The Talmud tells us why was Ahaz the worst. Because although he brought idols in the temple, just as Manasseh did. But Ahaz never repented, never did shuvah for what he did. Manasseh at least did shuvah. But Achaz never did Shubba. So these are the two names that Joseph named his two children, manasseh and Ephraim. Now I'm going to say something which is a little unusual. Well, I guess not for me. but And that is in the Haftorah that we read last week, this just yesterday, we read how King Solomon which was the wisest king of all of all people, wisest person of all people, was befronted with a case with the two mothers and the, and, and the child and the child that died versus the child that was alive. I'm sure you, all of you remember the story where King Solomon here's the case of both stories. Here's both stories. And what does King Solomon say? He says, let's take a sword and cut the baby in half, and we'll give each one half. And immediately, the mother of the child yelled, stop. No, we're not cutting this child. You know what? Let this child live. You know what? If it's hers, let her keep it. But do not cut the child. The child that's dead is dead. I can't, we can't revive him. But the child life. alive, why should he be killed? Immediately, immediately King Solomon, she's the mother of the child. And when he said that, everybody recognized how wise King Solomon was. Everybody. Now, we read this Parsha, we read this Haftorah, and we always read it the same week that we read the story of Miketz, of Joseph and the two children that he had born. Now, sometimes we don't because it's Hanukkah, Shabbos Hanukkah. But well, but nonetheless, it is the Haftorah for this parasha of Miketz, which has the story of the of, uh, Jacob, of uh, Joseph, and these two children, Ephraim and Benashim. Now, there are other similarities in, the, in this aftora to the Parsha, but I'm going to interject a new interpretation. I have not seen this anywhere, but I think this is a, a critical piece of the puzzle. And that is that this child that was split in half, was at, that Solomon said to split in half was referring to Ephraim and Manasseh that this child of joseph these children of joseph are going to be split into two different arch enemies you have the ephraim representing the, the children of of the kingdom of israel and manasseh representing the kingdom of judah and he wanted them both to be cut because of what he saw is going to come of them manasseh is going to bring idols in the temple and a fry him because he's going to stray from the ways of hashem and that's why he said let's cut it in half nothing in torah is random every detail of torah has a connection with the, the portion of the week that we read and as well with the, with the connection with what's going on and that's why i say that this splitting of the child was not a random situation because there, i'm sure king solomon had more ways to get to the bottom of it without having to make such a threat? Why would King Solomon make such a such a blatant threat? We should kill his child? I mean, a, a rabbi that says to somebody, I want you to kill that child. You know what they do with that rabbi? They kick him out of the job. He's no more rabbi. And yet here, everybody looks at the Solomon. He's a, a great a, a speech because he came up with this great idea, novel idea. Cut the child in half. That's what i'm saying it wasn't random that he chose that as as his answer but rather it has to do with the frame and And this is what we have to deal with that like we said that everything that we read and everything that we hear has a relevance to us and we have to take a lesson how to serve hashem so let's look at the story and let's see what, what kind of lesson we can take from this so when we look at the story, and, we, and, and then go back to the names, why did Joseph, that was a, a question I asked earlier, why did Joseph name these children these names? Well, the reason is because, as it says in Deuteronomy, we must always remember the path that we took. The, the, whole, the journey that we took is, is important to recognize whether it's good or in our perception or bad in our perception. Nonetheless, this is who and how we became who we are today. We couldn't have become, as I often tell my child, one of my children, he's always like anxious, he's got to be here, he's got to be there, he's got to be somewhere else. Never satisfied with where he's at. I said to him, I said, you know, if you want to become 80 years old, you have to live 79 years before that. You can't just turn one, one day you're 80 years old the same thing is we have to recognize that a person no matter who he is and how he is all of their upbringing all of their childbearing and, and, the, and the childbearing and marriage and family and all the experiences that they encounter in throughout their life those are the the bricks and the mortar that created who I am today. And that's why it's important to remember. Yes, okay, so your dad did this to you, your mom did that to you, your brother, your siblings did this to you, your, th- your friends did that, that's all. Yes, those. so when when you look at it as those are all negative, then you don't grow. All you are is miserable and sour, and, not, and not, nobody benefits from it because you can't undo that. And even if the person apologizes from today till tomorrow, it means nothing. You can't undo what was done. And an apology doesn't undo it. You know, the same expression, it's easier to apologize than, than to ask permission. Okay, so the apology really doesn't change anything other than maybe it'll, it placates you for, for a day, a week, a month, but, but the hurt, quote unquote, is still there. Is still there from 20 years ago, 40 years ago, or, whatever, or more. Because that can't. Be. But if I take that hurt, quote unquote, and I use that as a stepping stool to get me to the next level, you know, in business, there's an, there's an adage that says, you're not a failure until you stop. Once you stop, now you failed. And the same thing is, as long as you want to put a blame and onus on someone else, even though that person is responsible for this tragedy or that tragedy, if that's the case even, because as we discussed, nothing happens without Hashem's making, but nonetheless, if you you want to attribute it to this person or these people, then, and that's what you want to be stuck with, you're not growing, you're stuck. You're stuck over there, whereas when you grow, when you say, you know what, yes, this is what happened to me, but today is the first day of the rest of my life, and I am going to take charge of my destiny, not look back at the the evils, quote-unquote, that people have done to me, but rather look at how I can take those evils and turn it around to something positive as I often used to joke around. Now, some of you may know, but I provide um, all Israel goat milk. And for those that don't know what that means, that means milk from goats that were overseen by a Jewish person. If a Jewish person oversees the milking, then we're allowed to drink the milk. If we don't have a Jew overseeing the milk, even though I know that this is a, a goat farm and they're milking goats, Because there was no Jew that oversaw the milking, I can't drink the milk. So I used to joke around and I used to say, I can take non-kosher goat milk and make it kosher goat milk. And people look at me like I have four heads. How do you do that? (laughs) Well, I used to raise goats. So I used to take the non-kosher goat milk and feed it to the baby goats as a supplement for their mother's (laughs) milk. And now when she gets older, she's going to produce kosher milk. So I could take non-kosher milk and make it kosher milk. Not too many people could do that.
0: No, that's a good (laughs) trick. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So so the same thing is when we talk about um, we have to take the negative things, quote-unquote, that has impacted our life our adolescence, our teeny years, our our uh, formative years and our married life and all that and transform it into positive things. And that's really the key to being able to remember all of the past and take the past and use it as bricks in your new edifice you are in control of how that edifice is going to look. Because now, you're no longer in your parents' house, you're no longer with your siblings, you're no longer with your friends, you're out of school, you're out of college, you're out of everything, you're in your own edifice. So when you're in your own edifice, you take control. And you want to you keep blaming? Keep blaming. But well, if you want to grow, if you want to be able to show that you have something positive to say about yourself, you have to take something, some positive steps in making that happen. And that was important for Joseph to constantly remember that these things, I am in the land of, of Egypt, but I have to forget all of the evils that happened to me as a child. I have to remember that despite the fact that I'm in this Egypt, the superpower of the world, I am still fruitful here, and I still can be a, a, an observant Jew, even in this environment, and it's a constant, a constant reminder, and I heard once a story, a very interesting story, about a person that wasn't religious, and he got some tattoos on, on his hands, and one of the places he put a tattoo was on his bicep, on his left bicep. And, uh, and the tattoo that he put there was a picture of a pretty young lady, pretty lady. Okay, then as he's getting older and becoming religious, and now he has to start putting on tefillin on his left arm, on his bicep. He rolls up his sleeve for the first time as they're putting on 12 with them in the street. And he sees this pretty woman there. It's like, huh, oh, how's this going to work out? So he puts it on. You know, he, the, he had no choice. That's where he's got to go. So he does that. Well, and, and he's getting more and more into, into the religion. And now it's beginning to be a problem because it's distracting him from when he puts on the toilet. He has to look at this pretty lady. Not that he has a problem with a pretty lady. It's just that the pretty lady is not a match. She's not a fit for him with his fillet. And this is where it's got to be. So what am I going to do? So he goes to his rabbi. He goes to his rabbi. He says, what should I do? Should I undo this uh, tattoo? It will be difficult, but I think I can do it. And the rabbi told him, no, keep it keep it them. And he's like, but, but you know, it's embarrassing. That's exactly the point. You should remember every day of your life where you were and where you are. And that was what Joseph was doing. He wanted to remember where he was and where he is. And despite the environment that he was in, he was able to maintain that connection. In fact, when we see in the, in the story that he goes and he, when he orders his chef to slaughter an animal for his, for his brother, for his siblings, when they came to, for food, what was that all about? Who was, who, who was slaughtering this animal? Well, it had to be a Jew in order for them to eat it. And yes, it was, it was his son, one of his sons that actually slaughtered that the animal for the to the meal, but more importantly he wanted to show his brothers that despite the fact that they were jewish and he was kind of a foreigner but i'll respect your religion i'll respect he didn't he didn't reveal himself yet to the, his brothers so they had no clue that he was his brother but out of respect to his brothers he never showed an ounce of disrespect for his siblings, he might have he might have treated them a little nasty, but not disrespectful. And after all, what do you expect? You know, I mean, uh, they didn't treat him like with, with, uh, with much with much care for altogether. Imagine what you what any one of us would be like had we would have been in such a uh, such a situation, where we were being left in, in a pit, and uh, hopefully. Not to see him again, but this is what we take—the the, takeaway that every one of us, we all have, we all have some kind of negativity toward somebody or something that somebody did something wrong to us at some point in our life. We have to remember that those are tools for us to grow with. Hashem does not give us a challenge that we cannot overcome. And he makes sure that the remedy is there before the illness. So when, when he's already giving me this challenge, the remedy is already there for it. And I can't say, well, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. But rather, no. Hashem gave it to me. It's because I can handle it. Yeah, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be difficult, but I can handle it. Look, when, the, when, when we have uh, snow to shovel, even though it might be 4 inches, 8 inches, 10 inches, 12 inches, 20 inches? Does anybody say, I'm not going to shovel the snow. I'm just going to leave it alone because I don't have the time or energy to do it. Or are they going to, if they can't, they'll hire somebody to do it. They won't just leave it there unless they're going to stay locked up in the house. Well, now we're going into another lockdown kind of thing, so I guess, okay, you don't have to go outside anyway so it doesn't matter leaves the snow there but then again if somebody falls into trips on my property i'll be responsible for that so i will make it my business to clean up that stone and there's no such things i can't it's too much it's too difficult but rather we, we take the initiative and we do what we have to and only then can we merit to be like a joseph because when when joseph what he did he was confronted with many challenges as I said the fact that he did not have a, a, a nervous breakdown from all the challenges to the had that in itself is a miracle I mean all the difficulties he had to uh, all the hoops he had to jump to get to where he was it's, it's unreal I don't wish it on my worst enemies but yet he came out strong He was the Joseph, he was the second in command. And every one of us can be the same Joseph, but we have to be able to recognize that a challenge is nothing more than an opportunity for us to connect with Hashem. That's my
0: story for today. Such a good one. That's excellent on many levels. Does anyone have a question or a comment? Please share if you do. Hello?
1: I guess nobody has any comments.
0: Maybe, that, maybe we're all speechless. We can hear, I can hear you, but oh, I don't good. have any questions or comments. Good. Other than it was great. <laughs> It was really great. I love the insight, um, Rabbi Zirkand, about the splitting of the child. That's um, what, When did you? When did that kind of come to you? Yesterday. That's excellent. Yes, as
1: I'm sitting and reading this, I said, "It's not just a random story I mean, it's the Did you kill a
0: child? I mean, it's just unheard of." Right. Right. Well, that's. Yeah, I like that too. I did never heard of that. It's ushered. Thank you. I know. Great, I class.
1: Recognize you, Great class. Thank you. Yeah, that was uh, that was my own insight.
0: I that think it's nice. really terrific. I haven't heard and that I'll either. Me,
1: and I'll tell you, if anybody says that I saw it in a Ramban or a this or a that, I'll say, you know what? I got it the same place he got it from because
0: I just see the ramban. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, that's I mean, that's really special. I mean, here we are. Uh we're a fairly small group, but you know, just to be able to have a new take on something that we're we're generally all familiar with. I mean, that's that's really special. And uh, just have to say baruch hashem.